Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode four of the Plugged In podcast. Uh, we have a very special guest today sticking in the United States House of Representatives. We've got Congressman John Curtis, a Republican from Utah, uh, who is here to talk about the issues of the day, particularly in the energy and environment space, where he has emerged as a real leader in the Republican caucus. Uh, Congressman, thank you for joining us today uh, on the Plugged In podcast. Uh, great to be with you. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Congressman. Well, Congressman, I, uh, uh, you know, uh, I for one, uh, I'm a Republican uh, from Kentucky who cares deeply uh, about uh, the environment. Uh, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Commonwealth of Kentucky, it's a beautiful place where we really. Uh, prize our natural resources, our air, our water, our gorgeous horse farms, uh, and the bluegrass. Uh, I uh, uh, listened to some of your remarks and have read some stories where you talked about your experience, particularly in the Boy Scouts uh, as a kid growing up, and how that really gave you an appreciation for nature and conservation. Can you talk a little bit about the the foundations in your life that have caused you to become uh, such a such an uh, advocate and leader for uh, for conservation and the environment? I'd love to talk about those. We could spend the whole time just talking about those. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you briefly, you mentioned scouting. I was blessed with a scoutmaster who loved the outdoors. He was a mountain man. And when I was 13 years old, he strapped a 40-pound pack on a bunch of 13-year-old kids, led us up the highest peak in Utah. It's called King's Peak. We did 100 miles in seven days, if you can imagine, as a 13-year-old. But I'll tell you, I was up on that top of King's Peak, and I just remember looking out and seeing, as far as the human eye could see, no influence from man. And this would have been back in the 70s when you didn't even see other hikers up there. And um, just that profound sense of beauty and respect uh, for God's creation, um, I think instilled within me this deep desire to leave this earth better than we found it. And I actually think, like you, all conservatives, Republicans have those same feelings, maybe some stronger than others. And, it, and, and we've got to be really careful with our branding because we've kind of allowed ourselves to be branded as not caring. Yeah. How, how, how did that happen? How do, how do you think that happened? Well, was, I, it, was it mostly the climate issues? Were there, I well, mean, I think what happened is the, the extremism that, that sometimes comes from the far left on this turns us off. These uh, ideas that I call them, you know, they take the head off to fix the headache kind of turns us off. And, and I think to Republicans, it feels a lot like you've got to endorse the Green New Deal if you're going to talk about climate. And so they, they tend to, 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 stray, to stay away from that. And as a result, their, their brand is not caring, which couldn't be further from the truth. Right. And, and, and I know you've been, you've been obviously at the forefront of kind of this, this effort of Republicans and conservatives to show that there is, you know, there is another way you, you have a strategy on the issue of climate. And, you know, a big part of that, I, I you know, have, I understand you are planning a trip with two outside conservative groups, Clear Path and CREZ, Citizens for Responsible Energy Solutions, to the UN Climate Conference in Glasgow. That is exciting. Can, can you tell us what, why you're doing that and what, what, what your purpose is there? Yeah. It's exciting to me. And, and I, I would say our purpose is very clear. We want to show the world that Republicans and conservatives do care. And uh, we, we, we care, uh, no use the word deeply, that is exactly how I feel about it. And so by going over there, we want to show that. But we also want to show that we have good ideas. Uh, we want to seat at that climate table. We want to promote Republican conservative ideas. 
That's been the mistake with Republicans not talking about this is our ideas are not being considered. And by the way, our ideas reduce more greenhouse gas emissions and don't kill US jobs. <laughs> so, right? It's like really important that we get that message out. Back to what you were saying, Congressman, about you know the, the, the left sort of uh, and, and the rhetoric they use to kind of make Republicans and conservatives uncomfortable on climate. You know, here you're going with, uh, with these two uh, outside groups. Uh, I mean, do you think it's a sign of the times that uh, the, the Democrats in Congress didn't invite you all to come as part of their delegation? Well, I, yes, it's, it's also, to be honest, I think we have to own a, a, the, the, the fact that we've not been vocal on this, right? So they don't think about us. And that's the, the purpose of the, the caucus, it's the purpose of going over is to, to change that, that narrative in people's minds and have people start looking to Republicans for answers. I found in my experience, Congressman, during my time at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, I was out there pretty vocally uh, as a Republican who cared about climate change, but that I didn't believe in subsidies or mandates or overarching mm -hmm. regulations, that I wanted kind of a market-based approach, a technology-driven innovation approach to climate change, focusing on technologies like battery storage and aggregated distributed energy resources. And what I found is I, I really didn't get a lot of blowback from the political right for advocating these kinds of policies. Have you had a similar experience as you've kind of stepped forward in your leadership role uh, with this caucus and, and, and bringing Republicans to the table on climate change? Yeah, absolutely. And I have to admit, it's been a little bit of a journey for me. I came to Congress four years ago I didn't really have my feet underneath me. And I felt like a lot of my colleagues that if I wanted to be sensitive to the environment, I had to adapt these radical policies. But it was a it was a it was a light bulb moment for me when I realized you don't have to leave your conservative credentials at the door to advocate for policies that are good for the environment. And, and you've clicked off a few of them. The reality of it is the marketplace has done more to reduce greenhouse gas emissions than any government regulation could ever have even dreamed of doing. And businesses are moving at their own volition uh, towards green solutions, not mandated by government, but because it makes business sense, right? Customers and consumers are, and, and shareholders are asking it. And, and that's driving this market, not government regulation. Will you tell that story in Scotland? I mean, we have a great story in the U.S. to tell. Uh, rather than going in frustrated with the doom and gloom, why not focus on the positive uh, impacts that market policies have had in the U.S. Well, I totally agree, and absolutely, we'll shut that from the housetops. Another thing that's a mistake is we're not shutting from the housetop that the U.S. is a leader. I, I hear from my Democratic colleagues, "Oh, we've got to be a leader in this field," and I say to myself, "Are you kidding? We've reduced more greenhouse gas emissions than the next twelve greenhouse gas emission countries combined over the last decade. How is that not a leader?" Our American businesses leading out in their commitments. How is that not leadership? And I, I think it's been a huge mistake for, for my colleagues on the left to, to somehow apologize or feel like we're not leading out on this. I think we are and doing a remarkable job at it. Hey, hey Congressman, I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm gonna put on, put on the reporter hat here and just uh, play, <laughs> play the, uh, the devil's advocate. You know, uh, you know, I mean, so obviously a big focus of this cop is you know, yes, the U.S. has done historic, you know, the last decade, as you say, very, very well. But there's, there's, you know, the science is saying that has to be accelerated, right? That, that, uh, you know, there's a, there's basically an emphasis on by 2030, countries setting more, you know, aggressive targets to really get on a path to net zero 
by 2050. So I, I'm, I'm wondering, do you, I know Republicans have been kind of resistant to the idea of setting targets. They feel like, especially 2050, they feel like it's just too far out, right? Like what's going to happen before them. But I mean, if there's an effort, on the, I mean, you know, President Biden has said he wants the U.S. to reduce emissions at least by half by 2030. I mean, do you support that, you know, that idea? I mean, how and, and, and kind of what do you hope comes out of this top from a U.S. perspective? So listen, I, I totally agree with you. One of the things, though, that just we've got to, to admit and come to terms with, the science is very, very clear. The U.S. could get to zero, and that means nothing, right? We, we've got to figure out a way to engage our, our overseas colleagues, you know, particularly China and India and Russia. And, and, and I think too often we talk about this and say, look, if the U.S. would just show leadership, if we just reduce our emissions in half by 2030, I think we're on track to do that. Like, I'd be stunned if, we're, if we don't do that. Here again, look, almost, there's hardly an American business that's not committed to do that. But it will be meaningless if, if we go over there and sign an accord that allows China to continue to increase their emissions for the next two decades. What, who are we fooling, right? So we've got to be talking about how do we impact worldwide greenhouse gas emissions if we're going to have a serious conversation. And there's very few tools that the U.S. has in our toolbox to do that. But one of them is U.S. innovation, setting the low-cost alternatives out there. China will adopt the low-cost alternative. That's why they're going with coal right now. So we've got to get our tails busy here in the United States and, 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 and innovate and come up with low-cost solutions that are green. And that will impact worldwide greenhouse gas emissions far more than any restrictions or anything that the, the president signs while he's over there. Right. And, and, and do you, I mean, so you, you said something that somewhat surprised me that you feel like we're actually, the U.S. can, can be on a pace to, to cut emissions in half by 2030. You know, most analysis I read says that's, that's not the case. There, there is the need for more policy. You mentioned earlier, you have, you know, Republican policies are going to be effective at reducing emissions. Can you tell me kind of what some of those examples are? And especially if Republicans retake the House, I know this is something Neil, you're interested in, I mean, you know, what, what would might be on the Republican agenda policy-wise to actually accelerate emissions reductions? It's a great question. And it's why Republicans have got to engage. Because if we stand back and just tell everybody what we don't like, right, that's not, that's not success. We've got, to, we've got to put our own ideas out there. But, but let me be clear right now. What, what you're seeing, and, and you see it in the $3.5 trillion reconciliation package, is every Democrat's favorite pet project funded with no comprehensive plan on how they fit together. So let me give you an example. Let's put charging stations on freeways around the country. Well, great, that feels really good, but we don't have the grid to support those. Even if we had the grid to support those, we don't have the electricity to support those. So we've got to step back a step and say, what is our overall plan? So let's talk about nuclear for just a moment. In the year 2030, when you and I agree, it'd be, really, it'd be really important to reduce our emissions by half. We will have cut our nuclear fleet in half at the very same time, right? So that's a huge mistake. We can't get from, from here, you're right, we can't get from here to where we are in 2030 or 2050 if we're, gonna, if we're gonna reduce nuclear. We've got to keep our existing fleet running long enough to come up with the next generation of nuclear that deals with issues of waste and security and all of those things that people are concerned about with nuclear. So I put that out there as, as, as a clear, strong you know, piece of this foundation that we need, that we're not on target to, to reach, that the Republicans have got to be engaged in. 
Uh, let me give you a couple other major foundation pieces. L look, let's admit there's a lot of poopine of carbon sequestration and direct air capture, but unless we're successful in that category, there's no way we reach our goals. And, and, and particularly if we're talking worldwide emissions, we've got to figure out how to be taking carbon out yeah. of the air. Do, do, do you think those technologies can be really wide scale commercial though this decade? I mean, that, that's something that can be counted on this decade. I probably have more confidence than you do in American innovation. Now, look, here's the reality. We've got to shoot for the stars, right? And, and, and let's suppose that we're five years late, right? Well, we, we're better off shooting for those and trying and being a couple of years late than not trying, right? And so it, it, it is time sensitive. Let's start on, on and let's pay serious attention to these innovations that, that are out there that have huge potential. Why aren't we spending more time on hydrogen, right? Like. All of these things are potential game changers. Maybe we can do them in a decade. Maybe it takes us just a little longer, but that's a far better strategy than saying, oh, we're gonna throw some, some EV charging stations out there. Oh, we're gonna, you know, oh, this feels so good to, 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 to do these things. But if we do them, they still don't lead to the types of reductions we're talking about. We've got to bet on the types of things that will lead to the reductions that we're talking about. So I throw out nuclear, I throw out hydrogen, I throw out uh, director capture, carbon sequestration, and, and let's face it, we've achieved the, the, the great success that we've achieved because of a fossil fuel, natural gas. We've got to stop demonizing fossil fuels. And, and, and let me be clear. <laughs> Sorry for the buzzers. That's Congress. Folks that are listening. <laughs> in, in the year 2021, we still tell congressmen what's happening <laughs> on the House floor by a set. We need real American innovation. Is How do you better notify <laughs> congressmen of folks? So we'll solve, we'll solve climate, then we're going to work on this next, right after climate. Um, but uh, look, we, we've got to be working on, on, on these technologies. That, of course, I've totally lost my train of thought now, yeah. but I, you know, I well, think uh, to, to answer I, I your question. Follow up on that. Yeah. Sorry, but, but just to build on that, because I, I think you were going in a great place there, talking about American innovation and, and what we can do. You were looking forward at technologies like hydrogen and, and innovation, but I've been fascinated. There's been some really interesting research recently showing that core U.S. industries like steel are way more carbon efficient than the rest of the world. It seems like if we could get the trade policies right, we could create incentives for more production in the U.S., since we do it cleaner and better than anybody else and disincentives on imports from higher emitting countries like China, you know, do you think trade could be a, a core plan no. of Republican policy going forward? Yeah. I, and I actually think we missed a moment as a country and with president Trump's negotiating with China on trade, that would have been the opportunity to, to insert, right. Some of these things into that, but, but let me just piggyback on that for a minute. We somehow got this false idea here in the United States that if we don't make it here, it's okay um, to use and to consume. Um, and if it's so, so we're okay with human rights violations in some of these, you know, these materials that we're using in batteries and things like that. But we're not willing to make those here in the United States. We're not willing to mine those here in the United States. We're okay shutting down the Keystone pipeline because that feels really good. It feels like it's going to help us. Um, but the reality of it is it, it, it increases greenhouse gas emissions. And then we say to our enemies, produce more oil in, 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 in conditions that are far less green, right, than, than we're able to control here. And so I think we need to face the fact that's, that we are an energy dependent country. We must produce some of this and fossil fuels are included in that. It's better to have them produced here than overseas. 
Speaking of that, Congressman, uh, uh, staying in line with this tied to energy and beyond, uh, you know, you've been very vocal about some of the supply chain issues that we're facing right now. It's kind of the issue of the day and it's impacting everything, including, you know, things like uh, semiconductors and printed circuit boards. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing uh, uh, on the supply chain front and what what uh, our options are there? Well, I think it's a really good example when um, you, you don't keep the end in mind when you make these decisions. And Europe, and I'll bring up uh, Germany specifically, is a really good example of this. It's like, oh, let's switch to all renewables, right? Let's bail on nuclear. Uh, let's bail on, on, on all fossil fuels. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, we're shocked that we don't have enough electricity for our country, right? We're shocked that we, that we don't have a reliable grid. And, and this is what worries me about some of the direction that we're currently going in this in this conversation. Yeah. We're not accepting the reality of our energy use, right? We're not accepting the realities. And so we think we can go over to India. You, you all probably saw an article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday that says, you know, uh, India, South Africa, they need us to spend trillions of dollars to bring them up you know, to green standards. Well, what they envision is trillions of dollars spent on, on solar and windmills, right, across, across their countries. Well, that's not the answer to help them, right? Yes, we do need to help them. Yes, we do need to engage on that. But we need to do so thoughtfully in a way that's sustainable and still reduces uh, worldwide greenhouse gas emissions. On this topic, how do you see the, the global energy crunch maybe coloring the discussions in Glasgow, COP26? How do you, is that um, something you plan to bring yeah. up? I mean, yeah, go ahead. We've ha we have to talk about it. We've got to, we've got to come to terms with the fact that a billion people don't even have electricity. So what's gonna happen is they come out of a third world status and, and, and start burning coal. What, what, what happens if a billion people switch to coal instead of natural gas? What happens if a billion people switch to coal instead of hydrogen, right, or instead of nuclear? And I think this is where the US can do vast good around the world in helping these countries without undermining our economy, right? Let's be the, 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 the low cost leader on nuclear. Let's be the low cost leader on, on, on hydrogen, right? Some of these answers that are very good for the environment and they, we don't have to kill the US economy or, or go into great debt uh, in, in order to have success. Hey, yeah, no, I appreciate that. Just you know, a couple, couple quick ones. I know we're, we're probably running on time. I mean, one thing I know that's on Neil's, Neil's mind too, uh, is, you know, a carbon tax, it's something uh, Neil, you know, Neil's working on uh, in, his, in his private capacity now. Um, after FERC. And then, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something where I know, you know, a part of your, from what I've been told, a part of your focus in Glasgow is going to be, you know, meeting with business leaders as well. Um, a lot of business leaders want a carbon tax. Uh, I thought your Utah uh, colleague in, in, in the Senate, Mitt Romney, had some really interesting comments here recently was saying, why aren't Democrats, uh, you know, really going <laughs> gung-ho on a carbon tax and, and reconciliation? That, that, you know, it's always been the holy grail. It seems to make sense for that format. I mean, you know, where, where are you on that policy? A lot of proponents will say that would accelerate the, the yeah. innovation that we're already seeing. I still have some real serious questions that, that um, I'm, I'm exploring with earnestness, right? Like I want, it's not just like I'm, I'm trying to, to disprove it. I, I, I want to um, better understand it and, and see how we implement it. And you are right. It's not popular with my democratic colleagues and i have a theory on that and that is that they just they want to see fossil fuels go away well if you tax carbon you actually give a life to fossil fuels and it's natural gas yeah yeah so i it, it is interesting now there have been some conversations that have come up about including in reconciliation it seems to pop up and 
I hear the latest is that Joe Manchin doesn't support it. Um, so I, so it may be dead uh, just simply because of that. But I will say this, um, I think we need to work on parallel tracks here. So while folks are advocating for a carbon tax, it'd be a huge mistake to rely on that as the one answer that can fix everything. And we've got to keep all these parallel tracks going and see which ones actually are able to, to become viable and surface up to the top. And it feels like a lot of people feel like, wow, if government would just initiate a carbon tax, I can go pollute all I want. I can go do everything I want, right? And we would solve this problem if the government would just do, the federal government would just do, and of course, we all know that's not true. This, it's a piece of a, of a much larger puzzle to that. And uh, there are other greenhouse gas emissions, right, that we need to be talking about. And uh, so I'd, I'd love to see further conversation about it. Still asking a lot of questions myself. Do you have thoughts on a border carbon adjustment about hitting the bad guys, China, yeah. Russia, Venezuela, well, so punishing them for their emissions? I, I feel like if you're going to do a carbon tax and you don't do a border adjustment, it's a, it would be a, a, a colossal failure. And and then, no, I think part of the questions that I've got on this is I, I still haven't seen a, a border adjustment that that I'm convinced, um, you know, actually works. How do we keep China from cheating, right? And, and those are those are those are the types of questions that I've got on this. But but a border tax adjustment has to be part of the carbon tax. One more quick hitter from my my end: the bipartisan infrastructure bill that hasn't been voted on yet in the House. I believe, from what I've heard, Leader McCarthy is kind of you know, advocating against that for your members because of its link to the reconciliation, but there is a lot of stuff in there that would advance, you know, the, the clean energy um, policies you're talking about. Like, you know, I know that year-end uh, spending bill last year is something Republicans are proud of. This would fund uh, a lot of these, pro these uh, demonstration projects, right, of clean energy technologies. There's hydrogen hubs, resilience, transmission. You mentioned the grid earlier. Where, where are you going to be on that? So let's, can we, uh, I want to, I want you just said one thing I want to focus on for a minute before I answer your question. And that is, I think you're referring to the Energy G Act of 2020. That, that right. Through. That is, that is huge, right? That the fact that that was a bipartisan bill, it reduces hydrofluorocarbons by 85%. I don't think we slowed down enough to celebrate that. That was a big deal. And so I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. And I just wanted to highlight it for, for just a moment. If, the unfortunate thing is that bipartisan infrastructure bill would have sailed through the House with a lot of Republican support had it come over right after it went through the Senate. It has been so, so destroyed by linking it to the 3.5 trillion. And, and, and the fact that the, the House Democrats cannot, that, you know, the Josh Gottheimers and things cannot convince Nancy Pelosi to bring that to a vote. And, and, and the clear linkage was with the 3.5 trillion just kills it. Right. It, yeah. it, it, and it's just been really unfortunate to see the politics play because it would have sailed through over here a piece of cake with a lot of Republican support had it come over and been voted on. Now it's been very clear, Nancy, the president, everybody has been very clear that if, if they don't get the 3.5, they don't get the 1.2. And that, I, you know, I don't know where that ends. And um, the fact that Republicans haven't even had a chance to vote on that. And Democrats, you know, are very upset that they haven't had a chance to vote on that really is an unfortunate thing for the country. So you would have voted for it before, but you won't? No, know. I, 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 it, you never know how you're going to vote on something until that vote comes. But from the beginning, they've told us that it was linked, right? I mean, from the beginning, it's, it's nobody should be surprised that it was linked. That was President Biden's very first thing, is these two things are linked. He backed off that. But as far as we're concerned over here in the House, they've always been linked. 
cool. Actually, Any, anything else, Theo? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, just real quick, uh, uh, I've got a good friend of mine, Ryan Lindsay, who's a scout for the Utah Jazz. He's very <laughs> optimistic about uh, their prospects heading into the new NBA season. Uh, thoughts uh, on your Utah Jazz this year? Oh, they break my heart. <laughs> they break oh. my heart. Right? Like, what a good bunch of good guys. I actually, um, the, the, the new owner, uh, started as a small business in Provo when I was the mayor and I watched him grow and, and, and succeed. And, and that's a fun thing for me too. Well, we're all cheering for him. Uh, we need an NBA title in Utah. And it actually feels like we have the bones, right, to, to do yeah. it. Donovan Mitchell, Gobert, I'm jealous yeah, as a I mean, Bulls we, fan. We don't, we yeah, don't have those core Yeah, we, we, we've got the, the potential. <laughs> so, uh, here, here, you know, come to Utah and watch the Jazz. My final question, Congressman, is an important one. Do you have a place to stay in Glasgow? Everyone I talk to that's going to the cops <laughs> says hotels are impossible to find. So I'm told, not only do we have a place to stay, but I'm told it's a castle. Oh, wow. So okay. You, you bring a sleeping wow. bag, I'll let you roll it out on my floor in the <laughs> castle. As long as there's somewhere for me to plug in. All right, all right. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wrap it there. Um, right. Hope we get to talk again. Thanks, gentlemen. Yeah, thanks, really, really thanks for uh, being our, our fourth guest on, on Plugged In, and I uh, hope you have a good trip thanks. to Glasgow. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. That's a wrap, everybody. Uh, appreciate you listening. We'll have another episode of the Washington Examiner's Plugged In podcast. It's going to come out to every Tuesday around noon, so stay tuned next week and also don't forget uh, if you don't already well I know, I know you do but if you don't uh, subscribe to my newsletter daily on energy you can do that also at washingtonexaminer.com and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you next week